ask that you would instruct us and that you would encourage us as we talk about your great, graceful pursuit of us, how you have gone after us since the beginning of time, and no matter how many times we walk away or turn away or try to ignore you or seem to rebel, you are there pursuing us, loving us, caring for us, calling us. Pray that this morning, Lord, you would call some people back to you who have maybe taken a little trip. They've gone back to fishing. They're doing the same old thing. Remind them, remind all of us of your grace and your love and this thing, this relationship of grace that you have called us to. You instruct us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we've got the very famous account that we have all read at one time or another or most of us or heard of. This is when Jesus is calling some of the disciples. It is not the first time that he will call some of these men and it won't be the last time that he will call some of these men. I want you to take note what took place. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew as they're there casting the net, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And it says immediately they dropped their nets and they left. They followed him. They said, that sounds good to us. Let's go follow the Lord. And they went after him. And the same with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I mean, get that picture. They're there in the boat mending the nets. And Jesus just says, follow me. And James and John, they jump out of the boat and they leave their dad there and all the servants there. They abandon the family business. They abandon their livelihood. They abandon all that they knew, that place from which they drew their identity and their wealth. They abandon it and they follow Jesus Christ. It's very interesting that the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit being the author of Scripture, of course, in verse 16, and as Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. It seems a little redundant in thought. Casting a net into the sea, and then the Holy Spirit is quick to say, and certain to say, and careful to say, because they were fishermen. No, duh. They were casting the net in the sea because they were blacksmiths. No, they were casting the net in the sea because they were landscapers. No, it is obvious they're casting the net in the sea because they're fishermen. The Bible's so funny, it's so simple. But why does the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit bring that to our attention? The Holy Spirit that sometimes he feels like the Holy Spirit that. Whew. Why does the Holy Spirit bring that to our attention? That they were fishermen. Why so seemingly redundant? Think with me now. Think with me now. That is who they were in the fullness of their identity. It wasn't just their job. That is who they were identified as, the Holy Spirit says, concerning Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen. That is what they did. That is who they were. They were probably not fishermen by choice. It wasn't the greatest job in all of Israel in that day. You stayed up all night long, you were out fishing, whether it was storms or it was calm, whatever it was, it was really hard work, it was smelly work, it was long hours. Did you ever notice that they never caught a single fish in the entire Bible unless Jesus was there? These guys were not only fishermen, they were horrible fishermen. I have a hard time believing that this was their occupation of choice, and yet it became their very identity, and it became their identity by the way that they were not all that they maybe hoped they would be when they were growing up. Maybe it was cool to be a rabbi in that day. 
Oh man, to teach the Old Testament to people and to be able to stand up in the synagogue and to be anointed by God and to be a leader among God's people would be cool to be a rabbi. Maybe it was really cool in that day to be a carpenter or one who worked with stone. There's a lot of work to be done. Jesus himself came as a carpenter. That must have been a cool job in the day. I don't know. But they ended up being fishermen. Now I want you to take note of something. As I said, this is not the first time that Jesus had an encounter with them. In fact, it was one full year ago when he first encountered Peter. Turn now to John chapter 1. We'll come back to Mark, but go to John 1. John 1, in verse 40, it says, One of the two who had heard John speak and followed him, capital H, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, the same one that we just read about in Mark chapter 1, who was with Peter, casting the nets. Andrew, at this time, he followed Jesus, it says. And then in verse 41, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. Look what happened here. Jesus in John chapter 1 has been identified as a Messiah, the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. We remember from our study in Mark that when he was baptized, the heavens were opened and the Spirit descended upon him as a dove. We remember also that the voice of the Father came from the sky saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It was very obvious that this was the Messiah. And so Andrew, knowing that, begins to follow Jesus in verse 40. And then he goes and he gets his brother And he says, look, we found the Messiah. You got to come check this out. And Peter would say, well, then called Simon. What what do you mean you found the Messiah? You mean the deliverer of Israel? The savior of the whole world? Here, now? Yeah, man, we found him. This is the one. I mean, check it out. He was baptized and the voice of God the Father came from the sky and we saw the Holy Spirit come upon him. This is the guy, John the Baptist. Remember John, Simon? Simon said, John the Baptist, that is one bad dude, man. He's out in the wilderness all clothed in skin and eating locusts and honey. He's preaching repentance. Yeah, he's gnarly. What about John the Baptist? John the Baptist said about this dude that he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. Simon says, are you kidding me, Andrew? Andrew says, man, I ain't kidding you. This is the Messiah. Simon says, man, let me check it out. And so Andrew takes Simon to meet the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the Messiah looks at him and says, your name is Simon. From now on, it's going to be Pete. What? (laughs) What do you mean it's going to be Pete? From now on, your name shall be the rock. He had no idea what that meant. But in an instant, because of an encounter with Jesus Christ, he was changed. His whole identity was changed in a moment. It's a picture of us being born again. The moment we are born again, our whole identity is changed. The Bible declares that we are members of the kingdom of darkness until we are born again, and then we are transferred to the kingdom of light. The Bible declares that if any man or woman is in Christ, behold, they are a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. All things, including you, have become brand new. This is a picture of that. Simon having his name changed to Peter, a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. Andrew, already following him. Now, John chapter 1 
is a year before our text today in Mark chapter 1. And as you go back to Mark chapter 1, I want you to ask the question in your mind, what happened? What happened? Andrew was following Jesus. Peter had his name changed. And now a whole year has gone by. There's been the wedding in Cana of Galilee. There's been all these miracles. Jesus has been going about preaching the kingdom of God. All this stuff has taken place. But Andrew was not with Jesus for this year. Peter was not with them for the fullness of this year. Here they are a year later in Mark chapter 1, once again fishing, and the Holy Spirit is careful to call Simon, Simon again. Wait a minute. Jesus changed his name to Pete. The Holy Spirit says, he's not Pete right now. He's Simon. He's not walking in the fact that he is that new creation. And he's gone back to his old ways. He's gone back to the fishing. Having had an encounter with the living God, being changed in an instant, he's now the same old him. He's back in the same old life. There he is, casting the nets. And the Holy Spirit says he's casting nets because that's who he is. He's a fisherman. He's gone back to that way. And what does God do? God draped in humanity, Jesus Christ. He walks up, he sees Simon fishing. He says, Simon, you're such a chump. You're such a cheese ball. A year ago I called you. A year ago I changed your name. Andrew, you should be ashamed of yourself, you dirt ball. Man, I called you a year ago and now you're back here fishing again. Is that what happened? That's not a trick question. No, that is not what happened. Jesus walks up as if nothing had ever happened and says, hey guys, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Let me expound upon what he said. You had an encounter with me. Things were going well. You went back to the old life. Here you are in your old ways. One more time. Follow me. Come on. Now, is it just a chance mistake that Jesus happened to be on the Sea of Galilee that day and James and John and Peter and Andrew just happened to be there too? No, man, that's the the design of God. He said, here is a second chance for you. In other words, and here's the point of the lesson today. This relationship that I have with you, Jesus says to the people, does not depend upon your performance. Can anybody say amen? Thank you, Jesus. This relationship that I have with you does not depend upon your performance. He could have said to Andrew, he could have said to Peter, if it depended upon your performance, you would be out. I would have put the kibosh on you. It would be over. It would be done. If Christianity depended upon my performance as a Christian, it would be over for me. If you were able to lose your salvation because of being a cheese ball, I would have lost it today again. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that it is based on his love for you. And as the book of uh, Ephesians declares in chapter 2, you are his poema, his masterpiece. He created you, he formed you in his mother's womb, and he is not willing to give you up, though you may have gone back to fishing. I believe that many of us here can relate to having an encounter with God, and yet we go back to those old ways. We go back to fishing, and yet there comes a day, doesn't there, where once again, Jesus is knocking on your door. Oh, is it the weirdest moment? You never expected it. There you are just casting the nets, just going about your daily things because that's what you do. But God is too good to let you just do what you do. God is good, too good to just let you be who you are. 
He wants to transform you. He wants to give you a brand new life and a brand new chance, and that depends upon him and his goodness and how he views you as being precious, not you and your goodness and your performance. Peter, 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 Peter. If anybody ever put on a bad show as far as walking with Jesus, it was Peter. If anybody would have ever been the worst Christian you've ever seen, it was Peter. Gee whiz, Peter. Peter has his, cha- his name changed. He goes back to fishing. And now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5, which takes place three or four weeks after this text in Mark 1. Luke 5. Peter's name was changed from Simon to Peter. And John 1, a year ago, Mark 1, Jesus says, follow me. And Peter, good little guy that he was, he dropped his nets and he followed him. Now this is just a few weeks later and look what's going on. Luke 5, verse 1, now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, that he was standing by the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen nameless at this point. The fishermen, once again identified as fishermen, had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Oh my goodness, it's Simon again. And asked him to put out a little way from land and he began teaching the multitudes from the boat. Wait a minute. You gotta be kidding me. Just a few weeks ago, Peter dropped those nets and he followed the Lord and something has gone awry. Something has happened in Peter's life that made him think, I'm not so sure this name changer is the Messiah. And he's back to fishing again. And once again, the Holy Spirit identifies him as a fisherman. Take note that later on in life, when Peter writes his epistle, he opens it up by saying, Peter, an apostle. He doesn't say Peter the fisherman anymore there does finally come a moment where he has changed, where he now identifies himself as being in Christ Jesus. He now assumes for himself the identity that Jesus Christ offered to him as a new creation, as a saint, as a servant of God. Later on, he'll say an apostle. But here again, once more, the Holy Spirit says he's a fisherman. And there he is, fishing, having gone back to it one more time. And I want you to take note this time what Peter's doing. What is he doing at this moment? Look at it in verse 2. You tell me. What's he doing? He's washing the nets. We often go back to that old life and we realize that it just doesn't do. These stinky old nets that I once let down, this sin that so easily entangles us, why am I picking this up again? It can't be this bad. And we try to wash up that old life. We try to scrub it up on our own efforts, on our own merit. We go back to that life, and here's Peter. He's washing those nets. He's going, man, these nets, they're so filthy. I don't remember him being this dirty. They seem so good. I've been fishing for years and now these nets just, they won't do. And man, maybe I should be back with the Lord. I don't know. I'm catching so many fish. I should be fishing. He never caught a single fish. The whole point is that fishing for Peter was fruitless. Here once again, 
Jesus will say to him in a minute, let down your net. And he'll say, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I haven't caught a thing. Not a single fish. And it's as if the Lord would say to him, Peter, that's the whole point. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Peter, what are you doing in this fruitless life again? I want to make you not just a fisher of men, but take note what Jesus says now in verse 10. It says there in the beginning, and so also James and John, there they are once again fishing, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, calls him Simon again, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. Wait a minute, hold on. Any fishermen in here? Raise your hand. Fisher women, fisher people. There's one. Is that it? Raise your hand if you fish. Wow, not many people. My wife, she fishes. She's a fly fisher woman. She's excellent. But though I fished all my life, my dad took me camping and fishing as a kid. We still go to the family cabin out in Idaho and go fishing all the time. I've got to confess something to you. Right now, my dad's in Idaho fly fishing. So I'm going to confess something to you while he's not here, and I'm going to trust that nobody tells him, okay? Shh. He'll be back in two weeks here in church. He's a greeter. You'll see him. Just smile like, <laughs> Shake his hand. Shh, 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 shh. Shh. Mom, don't tell Pa. Listen to me. I don't like fishing. Shh. Shh. I don't like it. It is supremely boring. <laughs> supremely boring. More boring than anything I could think of. I would rather lay on the couch and stare at the flies in my house. I would rather repaint my bedroom. But catching, catching, no, catching I love. I love catching fish. That is really fun. That I dig. I can catch fish all day long. But if I'm fishing and not catching, I'm over it. I'm out. I'm done. Jesus, the first time he encountered Peter, or that time in Mark 1, said, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. I imagine that Peter went, oh boy. A fisher of men, huh? I've never done good as a fisherman whatsoever. Never caught a thing. Now he says in Luke chapter 5, and this forever changes the life of Peter. Follow me, and I'll make you a catcher of men. Peter goes, oh, man, I remember when I used to fish with my dad when I was young, and we actually caught fish. It was glorious. It was so fun. It was so fruitful. Jesus, you'll make me a catcher of men? Yeah, a catcher of men. In other words, I will cause your life to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. That is God's purpose for you, that your life would bear fruit for the kingdom of him, and it is only because he loves you that he pursues you. It is only because he loves you as a child that he uses you. It's an amazing thing to me that God wants to use us. It is amazing that he went after Peter time and time again. We've only seen three times. There will be another one to come in a moment. But every time, come on, Peter, I can use you. Come on, Peter, I can use you. Come on, Peter. And Peter goes back and the Lord just says, oh, my son, I love him so much. Come on, Peter, I can use you. Now, I am absolutely positive of one thing. 
that Jesus could accomplish his work more effectively without me and without you. He can do evangelism better than we can do it. He can teach Bible studies better than we could ever hope to teach him. He could love people better than we could love. He can expand the kingdom of God here on earth better than we could ever hope to do. I would suggest this, that we hinder his work compared to what he could do. And yet he chooses to use you and I. My son, Isaiah, he's two years old. I was mowing the lawn. We just moved from Ventura. In Ventura, our house had a lawn. The one here in Carpinteria, it's one of those little communities where people come and mow the lawn for you. I love that. But in Ventura, you know, because it's like Egypt down there, you got to labor and toil. I was mowing my lawn on a regular basis. I say that it's Egypt and Ventura because this is a promised land. And so I would mow my lawn, and my son Isaiah had a little plastic lawn mower. And he would sometimes come out and mimic me and kind of follow behind and mow the lawn. And he mostly stayed on the cement because he's afraid of the lawnmower, but he would mow. And sometimes he would say, Papa, mow, Papa, mow. And I know that he wants to go out there and mow along with me. And sometimes as I was mowing, I would think, wow, he's only two now. But in a couple years, he's really going to want to mow with me. I mean, he's going to want to come up and put his hands on the mower and walk with me. Are you seeing that? It's going to come a time where my son is going to want to come and put his hands on the mower and walk with me. And at that moment, I'm going to think three things. Number one, this is going to be extremely dangerous. Number two, this is going to be a really sloppy mow job. Number three, it's going to take twice as long as it would have. And I just thought of a fourth one. If this kid gets hurt, his mother and grandmother and grandfather will murder me. In other words, the work is going to be tedious with this kid. It's going to be difficult with this kid. It's going to be slow. It's going to be sloppy. It's not going to be nearly as effective. But on that day when my son comes and says, Daddy, I want to put my hands on the mower and walk with you, there will be only one answer in my heart. Yes, my son, now let's do it together. And if he mows a sloppy line, the next week he'll come and say, Pop, I want to do it again. I'll say, let's do it together. And if the next week he mows a sloppy line and he comes again and says, Papa, I want them all. Say, let's do it together. Don't you see the heart of God the Father toward his children? When you come and say, God, I want to put my hand to the plow and walk with you, he says, let's do it together. But there'll come a moment where I'm sure my son, as we were mowing, because he's only two, what's his his attention span? Nothing. We'll start to mow and he'll go, and he'll walk away. And we'll start to mow again, and he'll go, oh, a butterfly, and he'll walk away. <laughs> He's just like you and I in our Christian walk. We start to plow the field with God. We start to walk with God. We become engaged in the work of God, and we get distracted. Oh, a butterfly. And we walk away. And what does the Lord do? Once again, follow me. Come on. I'll show you how to mow. I'll make you a catcher of men. Now, A lot takes place after Luke chapter 5. There's some real high points. Peter becomes part of the inner circle of Jesus Christ, along with James and John, the ones who were called twice now here. They become the inner circle, and as part of the inner circle, they get to see amazing things that no one else in all of Christianity ever got to see. They got to be with Jesus privately when he would perform some resurrections. 
They got to see all of his miracles. They got to be a part of the multiplying of the bread and the fish. God, Jesus Christ, that is, will multiply the bread and he would hand it to the disciples and they would take this miraculous thing and they would distribute it to the people. When the sick were healed, when the lame were made to walk, when the blind had their eyes open, all these things, Peter would experience these highs. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appeared there with Jesus. And once again, God said from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Peter was there. He was a witness of that. He experienced these amazing things. And then there were some lows in his walk with Jesus. He was there at Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was a place in Israel which some of us had been to. And there um, all the uh, pagan gods were worshipped. And there were altars and statues and temples to all the false and pagan gods. It was like the spiritual hotbed of the time. And I've been to the very rock where they say Jesus and the disciples would have been standing when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And the backdrop behind him was this giant cliff, which I've seen, and you could still see some of the carvings, and the false gods were all up there, little altars to these false pagan gods. And Jesus was saying, Peter, I know who the people say these gods are. And we know that these are the false gods. But who am I? And Peter, in just a wonderful moment, would say, you are the Messiah. I know it. You are the Son of God. And Jesus would say to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, this is a great moment, Peter. God just spoke to you. And God spoke through you. Oh, Peter, I remember when I changed your name and you went back to fishing and I came and I called you away from the nets again and you went back and you're mending them, you're washing them, you're trying to clean up that old life and put it back together and yet you weren't catching anything and I called you again and now at this test, at this moment, I say, who am I? And Peter, you're right. God spoke through you, Peter. This is wonderful. And now let me tell you what that means. Because I am the Messiah, we will go to Jerusalem and there I'll be delivered up. And I'll be mocked and beaten and spit upon and I'll be crucified upon a cross. And Peter said, may it never be, Lord. Wait a minute. When Jesus began to explain the truth of Christianity to him, Peter said, never. Lord, it can't be like this. May it never be. In other words, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I just said you are the Messiah. Let me tell you what the Messiah is going to do. It's not going to be upon a cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, sort of changed his name again. This time, not so good. <laughs> One moment, Peter had direct revelation from the God of heaven. The next moment, Satan is authoring his thoughts. Can anybody relate to this horrible reality? Gee whiz. And what did the Lord do? Well, at that moment, the Lord had finally had it. He cast Peter out. He beat him. He mocked him. He spit upon him. He said, I'm done with you. It's over. Is that what happened? May it never be. Jesus said, Peter, here's the deal. Once again, let me break it down for you. Anyone that wants to follow me has got to pick up their cross, deny themselves, and daily walk after me. Peter, that is what it means. I'm trying to instruct you in the way that you've got to die to self. Now, Peter had this amazing moment with the Lord, a horrible low, we might say, but it would even go lower than that. The very night came that Jesus spoke of, where Jesus said, I'll be delivered up, I'll be arrested, I'll be crucified. The very night came, and Peter 
You can make an argument who is probably Jesus' closest companion at that time. The one who, when Jesus said, Peter, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, said, Lord, I ain't sweating that. All these other chumps may abandon you. James, John, the sons of Zebedee, forget about them. My brother, Andrew, cheese ball. Matthew, forget about Matthew, greedy tax collector. For sure not Thomas. None of these guys will stand by your side. But Lord, I've got your back. Don't sweat it, it says there in Luke 22, loose paraphrase. And then... Jesus is arrested, and a little girl comes up. Hey, Pete. Little girl, it says in the Bible. Just a girl. Hey, Pete. Maybe she sounded like that. Didn't you? You follow Jesus, didn't you? A little girl. A non-threatening little girl. Listen, a little girl could say anything to me, and I'm going to say, yes, sweetheart, you want a piece of candy? Here you go. It's a little girl. And Peter goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And someone else comes and says, Peter, I recognize by your dialect, you've got the same accent. You followed Jesus. Peter says, no, I have no idea what you're saying. And again, someone says, Peter, you are with him. And this time we're told in one of the gospels that Peter began to curse and swear that he was not with him. That does not mean that he used foul language. It meant in the first century that he called a curse upon himself from heaven. It means that he said this, may God kill me and damn me if I'm lying. I don't know Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Peter, he changed your name from Simon. He came and he took you away from the toil. He took you away from the nets. He took you away from the sin that so easily entangles you. And when you went back, Jesus came and he took you away again. And then, Peter, you said something really dumb. He had to call you Satan, and he still didn't turn you away. And you've seen the miracles. You've seen the transfiguration. You've been used in ministry. You went out on that little missions trip. You went out two by two, and you cast out demons. And you yourself, by the power of God, healed people. And, Peter, now you're saying you don't even know the one that gave you this new life, the one that loves you. And Peter says, may God kill me if I'm lying. I don't know Jesus Christ. Now, surely... I mean, come on, let's be sensible people. There is no question that at this point, Jesus, you've got to be done with Peter. There's no question about it. You have to just be done with him. Why wouldn't he be done with him? I mean, that's absurd. John chapter 21. John 21. Jesus is once again going to encounter Peter. After the resurrection, don't read John 21 yet. After the resurrection, the women went to the tomb and they realized that Jesus was risen from the dead. And Jesus said to the women, listen to what he said, go tell the disciples that I am risen and I'll meet them in Galilee. Go tell them. And tell Peter, He told the women after the resurrection, you go tell Peter of all the humans on earth, the one who had treated Jesus the worst during his earthly ministry and his last moments of him, the one who had denied him, the one who said, may God kill me and damn me if I'm lying, I don't know him, that very one, Jesus said, you go and you tell Peter. In other words, the God of the universe wanted 
Peter to know he wasn't done with him, even at that moment. And now, Jesus goes to find him once again. John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. And it happened in this way. There was together Simon Peter. Interesting. Both names. And Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, those guys again, James and John, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter, interesting, both names. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. No, Peter, please. Peter, please. Please, Peter, please don't go fishing. Please don't go back to that life. Peter, don't do it again. Jesus is risen. He is real. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. Peter, please don't go back to that old life. And they said to him, we'll also come with you. And they went out and got in the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Aren't you surprised? But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. I'm ashamed of how many times I've walked away from the Lord. Having seen his miracles, having tasted of his goodness, having been used by him, walked with him, knowing who he is, and yet one more time going back to those old nets, getting back in that boat, back into the old life, and it seems all right. All my old friends are there. We're all doing the same thing, and it's fine for a night. But in the morning, there's Jesus standing upon the beach. When the sun came up, the sun was there. Jesus Christ standing upon the beach. And once again, the old life, the fishing life of Peter has been proven to be fruitless. He didn't catch a thing. Saints, when will we learn that the old life is no good? It's only Satan that comes and says, hey, just go back this way. Just do that again. You know what? Satan can say that into the lake of fire. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And here he was standing on the shore once again. Now, I want you to notice what he says in verse five. Jesus, therefore, said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? Wait a minute. Why did he say this? Because he wanted to eat fish? No, not because he wanted to eat fish. Look down in verse nine. And so they got upon the land and they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish were already on it and bread. Jesus already had fish. Why did he ask them? Children, you haven't got any fish perhaps, do you? Oh, gee whiz, is that the Lord? Do you have any fish? How's it going in the boat? Are the nets clean? Are the nets well mended? Is it nice in that old life again? Is it fruitful? Have you got any fish? Oh, gee whiz. James, do we have any fish? No, Pete, not a darn one. Matthew, you're a tax collector. Count the fish. Zero, nothing, no fish. Guys, any fish? No fish. No fish. And then, in verse six, and he said to them, Cast a net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. 
They cast, therefore, and they're not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, Peter, once again, in your life, it is the Lord. And at that moment, Peter jumped off that boat, never to return again, and swam to shore where Jesus already had fruit, fish waiting for him. Friends, God will never leave you or forsake you. I don't care how many times you've walked away from the Lord. I don't care how many times you walk away from this day forward. He is there and he will pursue you ruthlessly, beautifully, wonderfully, gracefully till the very end. God has a graceful pursuit of you and you simply cannot outrun him. The kingdom of Judah was trying to outrun God about 700 years before Jesus Christ. And it says there in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 22, God says to them, do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. In other words, why do you continue to run from me? Why do you turn away once again? You're running the shoes right off your feet, the wind out of your lungs, the moisture right out of your mouth. He says to the nation, do not run and listen to what the kingdom of Judah said in response there in Jeremiah 2.22. Listen, they said, it's of no use. We love our false gods. We must go after them. Wait a minute, hold on. It's of no use? Knowing the wonderful God of the Bible, you still love your false gods? Can anybody, horribly and wonderfully, don't raise your hands, relate to what the kingdom of Judah said there? Can anybody relate to what Peter experienced? Knowing the truth and yet going back to the lie day in and day out. Friends, what Judah was experiencing when they said it's no use, we love our false gods, is called bondage. Bondage to sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Let us therefore lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. When we purpose in our hearts to follow after Jesus Christ, we have got to lay the nets behind us. Paul said in Philippians 3, I forget what lies behind, and I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I forget what lies behind. You see, the problem is we love those nets. There's something in us that though we know that old life is jacked up and messed up, we somehow want to hold on to it. And we don't put the nets behind us. We sort of drag them alongside of us. And by the very nature of what a net is, you're going to trip in it. Your foot's going to get caught and you're going to stumble. By the very nature of sin, we stumble. We've got to lay it behind us. We've got to forget what lies behind. We've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've blown it once again, but restore me. And look at the grace of God here in John 21, once again, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, ouch, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referring to, I believe, the boats and the nets. Those were the only things that were there. What else was he talking about? Do you love me more than these, more than the boats, more than the nets? And Peter had an honest answer at this point. He had been humbled and he said, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Now, Jesus asked there in the Greek, do you agape me? Do you find all your joy in me? Am I your one true love? Am I your everything? And Peter said, I phileo you in the Greek. In other words, Jesus, you know, I have brotherly love for you. My love is weak. 
You've seen my life. You've seen how many times I've turned away. I confess now my love is weak. And Jesus says, well then, Peter, for the last time I'm done with you. No. He says, Peter, then let me use you. Tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you find your everything in me? Am I your first love? And Peter said to Jesus, yeah, Lord, you know that I I love you like a brother. I phileo you. I like you a lot. And he said to him, then Peter, for the last time, you don't love me enough. I'm done with you. No. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me as your first love? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You've seen my whole life. You know that I merely phileo you. I've got to be honest. My love is weak. And Jesus said, then tend my sheep. I'll use you. Peter, it doesn't depend upon your love for me. It does not depend upon your performance. I have initiated and brought you into a relationship of grace. Now, Peter, walk in my grace. You have denied me. You have done all these things. But now walk forward in my grace and I will use you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But through Christ, we can do all things. Friends, we must be free from the condemnation of the enemy. We must be free from performance-oriented Christianity. Are we supposed to be holy? Absolutely we are as Christians. Are we supposed to preach the gospel and serve and, and expand the kingdom by God working through us and submit ourselves to him as his servants? You better believe it. Are we supposed to lay aside some sin and live righteously? Absolutely for sure. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, the man Christ Jesus. And the relationship is not based upon your performance, but grace. So you, because of your love for Jesus Christ, you go ahead and endeavor in your heart to perform well. And when you don't, as I don't, he will in no way turn you away. He will in no way forsake you, but he will draw you in once again, throw down those nets, and use you beyond your wildest dreams. Make you catchers of men, cause your lives to bear fruit. As long as you think you've got something to offer God, Go fishing all night long. The moment you come and say, Lord, gee whiz, you know all things. My love is weak, but here I am. Now we get to walk in grace, and that is what God intended. We need to do that as a church. We will hurt each other as a church. We will fail as a church. We will do wrong things as individuals. We will fall into sin that we never thought we would. But we've got to endeavor to walk in grace with God and with one another. That is God's design, his graceful pursuit of you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that though you dwell in a high and lofty place, though you are high and exalted, you are also near to the contrite of spirit and the broken heart. That you, by your very nature, can never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for the example of your servant, Peter, who just blew it time and time again, just like me. And yet you loved him. You pursued him. And you restored him that final time here in John chapter 21. And then he was used radically of you. God, I pray you would do the same this morning in lives here, that you would restore us one more time, those of us that have walked away. 
And then you would use us radically for your glory and for your honor. Lord, help us to surrender to you this morning. Help us to surrender our all before you. So grateful for your pursuit of grace. And we just need once again to be restored and forgiven, some of us. And for those of us who have been walking in that grace and serving you faithfully, thank you. Thank you for your spirit working through us. For those of us that need to return once again and we can relate to Peter, and Lord, I can, thank you that you love us. Grace us with your presence now in Jesus' name. Amen.